Hello and welcome to Searching with JTG. This is Jason and uh, thank you for coming and sharing some time with me and my guest Holly Ellis today. Um, man, we had a pretty heavy month in the tattoo community. We lost Hannah Sandstrom, uh, who I got to have an amazing conversation with on here. And she shared her story as she stared death in the face and did it with grace and dignity and awareness and bravery and strength. And uh, yeah, she moved on. And that was a really heavy, heavy thing for many of us that knew her. And I think for some of us that maybe never met her but got to see her story through social media and through her uh through instagram and maybe through hearing our conversation or her conversation with andrew on his podcast and she was so generous in, in sharing her uh, battle against cancer and it really struck me how when somebody leaves like i it was a it was a hard thing to come to terms with because I was I I had this sense of relief for her that she didn't have to fight anymore that she didn't have to hurt anymore just knowing that she wasn't in pain and wasn't constantly having to fight to stay alive there was a piece of me that felt at peace for her uh And then at the same time, my heart was fucking broken for her family and for her husband, Jamie. And uh, for those of us that loved her. And it's, you know, it dawned on me that, I mean, death is our loss of life. We We lose our experience to be here in this life. But once we're gone, we're gone. And it's for those that are left behind that have to remember the person that was here, that we got to laugh with, that we got to love, that we got to, I don't know, joke around with and be a jackass with and be goofy with. And uh, like her parents, you know, they had to watch her go. And uh, it was, it's, it was just really heavy. Um, and then we also lost Koji, who was a Japanese tattooer who uh, was living in Italy and was just a total sweetheart. And I only got to meet him uh, twice. And we had been in contact for him to come and visit me in Costa Rica. And uh, we talked back and forth to get him down there. We were going to surf and tattoo together. And he, uh, and then he bought tickets and when I was out of town, so he got to go to the shop and, and work with everybody there and, you know, made an impression on everyone. And he lost a fight against illness and he didn't share his story with anybody except for those that were close to him. And that was entirely right for him and that one really took everybody by surprise like what the fuck he was I, I don't know maybe maybe 40 early 40s maybe and it's so crazy to be getting older and start to see people go and especially when it's like that with a shock like some people die and it's not that much of a shock they live fast you know live fast die young you you could see it like oh probably an overdose or probably an accident or something but I I had no idea what could have happened to Koji um, and that one I don't know man it, it's just it's so crazy to see I mean this is just life we watch people come and go and one of my favorite quotes is we live on the ground where thunder and lightning play and uh yeah, I would just like to, you know, say what a blessing it was to have those people in our community of tattooing. And uh, my heart goes out to their families. 
Um, so today I'm going to share a conversation that I had with my friend Holly, who uh, is now one of my oldest friends and somebody that I really look up to. She is a powerhouse, man. A lot of us who know her watch her from the sidelines and I think we watch her in awe. She's hyper talented in pretty much everything she does and that has gone into many different areas. Um, Sometimes I feel like I'm playing checkers and she's playing chess. She's really, she's she's so impressive. I got to give a big thank you to Brooks who made this podcast or who produced it or uh, edited it because it there were lots of dog barks and, and technical difficulties and he made it passable. So there might be some uh, audio things that aren't exactly perfect, but it's worth a listen. And uh, yeah, she's, she's, she's great. So that's it. Oh, I'm having a baby. I'm going to have a baby with my girl Miranda, and uh, I couldn't be more excited. I'm 43. I didn't know that that was going to happen for me, but there's nothing I've fucking wanted more. I, I'm so excited about it. Uh, I'm excited to to raise a, a decent person and uh, do every goddamn thing I can not to fuck them up too much and instead give them all the tools that I've learned as I've gotten older that have been beneficial and to do it with my girl who is the easiest relationship I've ever had we've been together a year we haven't had a fight we can talk about everything we can have disagreements but it's the first time I've ever really felt like I had that I'm with my best friend and that is a beautiful thing to know that Uh, our child is going to come into a really loving, uh, peaceful, funny household. So, yeah, that's what's up. And I fell in love with smoking cigars. So if anybody wants to come smoke cigars with me in Portland, I found some really great spots to do that. And uh, I'm now tattooing full-time at Tattoo Smile with a really great group of people. And I'm so excited to be working full-time again. Um, So... Yeah, I hope everyone out there is doing well and uh, enjoying some sun. And man, let the people you love know that you love them because we don't know when any of us are going. All right, that's it. Uh, go out there, be nice to them. All right, take care. I'm going to go now. I'm going to introduce Holly Ellis, who I got to work with for, I don't know, four or five years, maybe. You might remember better than me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) But uh, Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Um, Feels longer than that, but. Yeah. Well, we've known each other now for, I don't know, 10, more than 10 years. I think I met you the first year I moved here. Right. We met at the convention. Yeah. Was that like 2000? I moved here in 2004. <laughs> I have no idea at all. You're such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you guys thought I was like tripping on something. Yeah. Um, weren't you? Weren't you? I don't think I, I could have been. <laughs> I think that you, the story I've heard from Iggy, maybe that you were and you had a flower on your shirt that squirted water i yeah i don't i don't remember any of it (laughs) (laughs) i I got to talk to chuko the other day and i was so excited to talk with him and he was like oh man we met back in the day and i was like i have no fucking memory of that at all (laughs) he's like yeah you were having a good time i guess yeah or not so we got to work together for quite a while and we met when we were still pretty young and uh and then you got the opportunity to take over Idle Hand and you yeah. transformed it into something completely different from how it started. Yes. And I've I been think, like, go for it. 
all of us that have watched you along the way have watched in awe at what you've done and at all of your different uh, talents and the way that you can express yourself in so many different areas and, and how you have spread your wings and succeeded. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you sit and talk with me and us. Well, <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about, um, yeah, like my history, especially at Idle Hand and you just kept coming up like a lot of the the reason the shop is the way it is is has a lot to do with you you know in the way that um i experienced it with you in those first years you know like you gave me my first big birthday party <laughs> i did yeah it was like uh i never i didn't really give a shit about my birthday you know and then you were all about getting people together all the time like you brought that to the shop and um, when you left, I wanted. All right. So let's get a little background on you. So you're from Michigan, right? Yeah. Northern Michigan. And a little town. Uh, I think there's a population of 2000, maybe. I was just looking at it the other day. Pretty small. Um, and there was like a shop that opened in a nearby town that I went to, to, uh, see if I could learn how to tattoo there. And, uh, that place was, um, it was like, the front of it was like an army surplus store. And then there was like an arcade in the back and then a little room in the way, way back uh, with um, like a bake sale table and <laughs> a couple of tattooers back there. And they were like, maybe, uh, maybe we'll teach you. Can you draw, you know? And so they had like Cherry Creek, you know, they're like redraw this like skull with a flower. Um, and I did, and it was pretty bad, but they were blown away. So they let me hang out in there for a couple months. Um, and then I moved, but that was a pretty, uh, like really interesting kind of cool experience. And who, who gets the tattoo at the back of an arcade? Like that's back in the fifties. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> it, yeah. It was interesting. Um, yeah. And then I just, I moved around a lot. We, I, um, I got married and his job kind of had us moving. So, we went to North Carolina for a little bit and New Jersey and Texas. And I just like everywhere I went would go in to shops and just ask if, you know, they would teach me how to tattoo. This is like 97, 98, 99. So uh, going rates for apprenticeships were, was like $10,000 <laughs> in most places that I went to and that wasn't going to happen. So I just like picked up whatever I could from whoever would um, put up with me and tattooed tons of people in my kitchen. Hmm. Not something I recommend. <laughs> <laughs> but it's how a lot of people started, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So did you did you have a formal apprenticeship? No. Um, like that first place I was at, uh, <sighs> I just kind of always think like, or like to say that I learned what not to do there, you know, like there was like, they used spray bottles and would just kind of hook them over the trash can. I don't even think they were bad, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, this is hilarious. Like, do you remember those, uh, those like stencil pens? Uh, you could like trace something with the pen and then put it like, transfer it to the body and just this one dude like did a superman logo you know and uh didn't like reverse the image he was tracing you know put it on the kid the kid looked in the mirror i don't even think the kid was 18 uh you know i walked in that back room they were halfway through the tattoo and i just like looked at it and just was like backed out of the room like what the fuck oh my god uh, yeah the kid got home and then we got a call from the mom <laughs> damn <laughs> so that was, you know, I learned a little, I learned kind of how to make needles there. And then I went, when I was in North Carolina, um, this guy, Steve Weatherington, he had a shop called Good Karma. He let me hang out. I would go there every day after work and just watch him tattoo. And uh, he was just super nice. And then finally he's like, you're, you're here all the freaking time. Like you should be doing something. So they started showing me how to make needles for him. Um, and then I, we had to move kind of when that door was opening up and 
you know? So like, I'd go like when I was in New Jersey, stop by shops and like this guy was like, what machines are you using? You should, you know, use these or like you should draw with Prismacolor pencils. And I just picked up bits and pieces until I moved to, um, I was uh, living in San Marcos, Texas and uh, <laughs> did the same thing, you know, go around to shops. There was a shop on Sixth Street in Austin I went to. Um, and that was when I was going to quit tattooing. Like I went into this shop and I can't remember what it was called. It was on the second floor. Uh, Notorious Ed was the guy there. And they're like, well, let's, let's have you do a tattoo and see, you know, if you can tattoo. And this, they just like grabbed this walk-in, this poor lady and had me do a heart on her hip, which is like somebody who's, you know, <laughs> tattooing. Uh, I was so terrified. And then they just, they just yelled at me like the whole time after maybe during, I don't know. I drove home like in tears, like, damn, these people are mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to quit. And then like, I got a call from uh, this guy, Eric Booth in San Marcos. And he, he's like, yeah, I'll hire you, you know? And um, I think it, I think it was on my answer machine when I got home from that drive. So it was like, okay, I'll try this out. And they were just really good to me and let me um, have a lot of freedom at that shop. And it was, it was cool. I was going to school at the same time. What were you going to school for? Uh, I got my degree in graphic communications because they didn't really have a very good, like they weren't focused on like the illustration part, but more of like, con like conceptualizing stuff like that. That was pretty awesome. Um, and then from there, uh, I, I got a job at, um, Atomic in Austin. And I also got a job doing layout design for Tattoo Artist Magazine. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, from Reed Street. Do you remember Reed Street? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I was doing that for like a year and then got like con in contact with TJ who opened Idle Hand in like April of 2004. So I came out here, did a couple guest spots with him and then I moved here. And uh, this is like the only shop that I stepped foot into in San Francisco for like a few years. <laughs> Fucking crazy. And you said that was, what year was that? 2000? 2004. Four. Yeah. Wow. Man. Um, yeah, that was wild. Nobody wanted to come into the shop. You know, the layout was different. It was dark. It was cold. It was just me and TJ for like, you know, a few months. Uh, it had been a shop, like several different shops. Um, just didn't really have a good reputation. And I was a nobody too. So it was, I learned a lot from TJ about like his thing was this, this is like, you know, you're in San Francisco where it's just like a great, there's a great history of tattooing here and great tattooers and we're like nobody. And what can set us apart is how we treat people when they walk in the door. Cause it's kind of intimidating, you know, walking into a tattoo shop. Especially when you look like TJ. <laughs> it's a very intimidating figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we built our reputation slowly. Yeah. And it's a, it's such a different beast than it was when it first started. But yeah. before we get into, um, tell me a little bit about childhood. You, you got your sister Mallory, right? Is that I have my little sister Mallory and older sister Stephanie and my older brother, Bob. Oh shit. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, what, what were you like as a kid? A little bit of a loner like I like to just be by myself you know and play with my toys and I had friends of course but I don't know I was just really content being by myself which is kind of how I am now. Were you kind of a tomboy? Yeah I think so um you know it was just my sisters and I growing up I didn't find out about my brother until I was like 15 uh, so, and like my sis, my older sister, she's like about a year older than me. And my little sister's like seven years younger. Um, so there was, I think that like my parents, because there wasn't a boy, they didn't 
like I didn't feel this like girls are supposed to do this and boys do this you know like we lived in the woods um and we had to do like outdoor chores and like I don't know manual labor <laughs> around the house like uh you know we were like my dad pushed us into sports we were you know like I don't know we just didn't have that like girls have to be like this kind of thing which I think kind of helped me over time just be kind of more independent I came into Idle Hand uh I guess maybe a year or so after you had been there because we had Iggy Iggy Vans was there and Andy Lowlife I think that was it yeah and uh uh Zach was there, but I don't know if he came after you. Yeah, I think he came afterwards. But like you said, that shop was really dark. It was uh, like kind of army green or like a weird olive drab Red green and walls. Yeah. And really green. cold. Um, uh, yeah. Really us riding on the back of, I think it was on the back of your scooter and we were going through San Francisco and we were talking about what we wanted in the future. And I think we both said like, oh, I want to work with Grimy. I think we've, you know, we both, it was such an interesting place to be surrounded by so many great tattooers and there was so much history, like TJ said. And we both kind of had these ideas of where we wanted to go and how we wanted to get there. And uh, kind of watching you in awe because you, there was a, a part of you that really didn't give a fuck about what other people thought like a, a kind of a fierce independence and a security in yourself. I think that I, I watched because I, I cared about what everybody thought all the time. So it was a stark difference. And I noticed that. And do you, does that resonate with you? Do you feel like that's true for you? And if so, where do, where do you think that comes from? Um, I, it's, it's hard to say. I feel like back then, like looking back, I was more like that when I was younger. Um, do you mean like in general or just like in the tattoo world? No, in general, just like, cause I think your personality goes into, you know, how you, it, it all goes into how we work and, and how we conduct ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think like I have this kind of contradictory thing, which I think a lot of people have. I feel like, I'm pretty insecure and shy, but at the same time, I have this like really um, overpowering sense of like, I, this is my one shot at life, you know? And if I'm gonna live it for what, like other people's expectations of me, what I assume they might be, or, you know what I'm, I don't wanna waste my life, you know? So I've always been like, also okay with failing you know like trying something and being like if I fuck this up I can like recover from it you know so I think that that might kind of come out as this like overconfidence and not caring what people think but like I'm kind of just always terrified <laughs> in general but like also kind of feed on that that feeling you know like right. this is scary but um let's do it fuck it that's awesome. So it's kind of like the ability to see where uh, where you could be held back, but overriding it and saying like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this despite the fear and I can learn from the failure and, and move yeah. forward. Yeah, I, I think about fear a lot lately um, and failure. And um, I just like, I hate being told no you know, like you can't do that or that's not going to work because I feel like, um, how do you know until you actually do it? And if you fail, a lot of like great things come out of failure, you know, learning. Yeah, for um, sure. I think that's something that has kind of come into the, uh, the dialogue of today or current times is an acceptance of failure and an understanding that it helps us to grow and helps us to learn and become better. I've seen a lot with you is you are, have been incredibly versatile. You used to do these really amazing oil paintings that I think everybody would look at and be like, what the fuck? And I would look at and I'd be like, what the actual fuck? They were so impressive. And then you would put those away and then do something completely different, like woodblock prints. And then you'd put those away and now you're doing like chain stitch or 
some kind of, you know, emotion, emotion, embroidery. It's, uh, it's so cool. So that all those different endeavors that you take on all those different interests that you have, I think they're definitely a strength for you. It's just, yeah, it's just fun. I want to like experience everything and try stuff and make, I just like to make things, you know, I like my hands to be busy and learning new stuff is good for the brain. And, um, but I, there's also like this, it kind of makes me sad because I don't paint anymore. Printing press is just like sitting there right now. I'm looking at my sewing machine, you know, like, and then I feel like being so scattered with all this stuff. It's like, I don't ever like perfect any of it, you know? Um, but that's where, that's what we're tattooing is for me. That's the thing that's been constant this whole time. And that's the thing that kind of like informs all that other stuff and that stuff informs tattooing for me too. So. Yeah. I've experienced that too. Like this, uh, it's spinning a lot of different plates at the same time. And I've, had this kind of jealousy of people or envy of people that have been able to have tattooing as their sole focus yeah. and because it's like a laser beam and it just goes towards that one thing where I feel like I've, I've had so many different interests and like what you're saying all those different interests it's hard to devote time to everything you just can't yeah right and so tattooing being the way that we make our living that's where a lot of the focus goes and with those other things and, and with tattooing, do you have a kind of schedule that you work with? Do you kind of chunk time to, to be creative or do you just kind of go about it when you have the feeling? Yeah, kind of both. Like every day I feel like I'm doing something creative somehow, whether it's like just, I don't know, even just thinking about it, like thinking of ideas of what I'm going to make next, you know, or do next. But then like somebody asked me to do a painting for them for Christmas, you know, and I hadn't painted in forever. And I did that and I got that feeling of life that you get from doing stuff like that. You know, like, ah, I want to hold on to this. I'm going to, you know, start painting again. And I did another painting and then dropped it, but I have like a ton of other things going on. So I'm still like, I don't know. I'm always creating something, but yeah, I don't know. And I have to like plan my whole day out. And there's a lot that gets taken from my brain for, from like um, taking care of the shop and, and the people in it and being worried about them and wanting to make sure everybody's happy. And that doesn't leave a lot of energy like for making something. Yeah. I, I was just thinking that the, the shop is, so for people that don't know Idle Hand, it you are the captain of a big ship and you have uh, you've navigated this fucking thing so well. But it's a lot, it's a it's a it's a lot of people, a lot of personalities, and that is a creation of yours too. You know, so you've got tattooing that you're focusing on as well as running the shop, and it's a very dynamic shop. And then you have your other interests on top of that, making uh, free motion embroidery and then trying to fit paintings in, trying to have relationship, having dogs. <laughs> it's <laughs> life is very full. But I think that, that that the shop being one of your creations is uh, is something that I hadn't thought about before. It is, but it's also like um, more of like a ship that guides me, I guess. Like I feel like the way I've, I've um, ran the shop is is more like I'm just listening to what the people and like the building itself. I've always felt like the building is telling me what it wants or the, the space the shop is in. Like, and I just have to listen and do what it tells me to do. Kind of like listen to what the people in the shop how they're feeling, you know, and then I can implement whatever it is that's needed. Um, which sometimes kind of makes it feel like it's not my shop. Hmm. Like it's just this thing that you're kind of uh, directing, but it's an, an organism that's kind of yeah. Yeah. forming. Yeah. And that's like the thing that, you know, when people talk about the tattoo gods and stuff, I've just kind of felt like, okay, I'm just 
reversals. <laughs> right. I'm listening. I'll do what you want. I don't know. It's interesting too, to think about that since you had only worked in, in some shops a bit, like you never put in a lot of time at a shop. And then uh, after being at idle hand for a while and then taking it over the way that you've changed it and the things that you've implemented in there, have they been organic? Have you, have you sought advice from other people along the way and looked at other examples of how shops have been run and, and taken things that you liked and gotten rid of things that you didn't? Yeah, totally. I mean, you, you're also an impetus for that, you know, like the redesign of the shop, um, you and like Bart Bingham, cause he was sitting next to me, you know, drawing and mumbling to himself all the time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was listening um, and he was just talking about how like the shop was like this huge waiting room when you walked in, TJ had a gallery in there at one point, you know, and then there was a little bit of tattoo space and he was just like, why do we have all this waiting room? Like, why don't we have more room for tattooers and have a small waiting room? And, um, and like, uh, and also, yeah, so I don't know. I just kind of took that to heart and then you brought in Adam and you were like, Holly, you need to like, put money into this place if you want to like grow here. I don't know if you remember telling me that, but um, I was like, yeah, I yeah, you're right. I need to like make this more for us and for tattooing, you know? So that kind of changed a lot of things in the shop. To just be transparent <laughs> and honest, I, we were, we'd become really good friends and uh, like, you you've been to both of my weddings you helped me after i cheated on my first wife and just felt horrible and you kind of coached me as to how to be able to live with myself and gave me some advice we were really close and then when you got the shop it was so hard for me because then my friend became my boss and i i was a very uh i didn't know it at the time but i had a lot of jealousy and I was really passive aggressive and I didn't know how to handle those emotions. And I'm so grateful that we were able to, to come through that. Cause even I had gone to leave the shop when I was getting ready to travel around the world and I didn't leave on great terms and it was a little rocky there for a while. And I'm so grateful that we managed to, to do that and maintain our friendship. It's very, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's beautiful. The shop has such a crazy family vibe. What's your feelings and process of dealing with people that are like family come and go? It just, it feels like rejection, you know, like you're in a, I'm in a relationship with everybody. And when people leave, I'm getting rejected, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, that's my emotional response um, because I'm also like super happy for people. And, and like, that's the, the course of tattooing. Nobody stays, you know, you know that nobody stays, everybody everybody usually leaves uh, and, you know, has like, wants to travel or wants to open their own place or, to, you know, whatever, that's just how it goes. And, but it doesn't take away that feeling, that pain, you know, like, so yeah, I don't know, like I'm kind of in the middle of trying to process how that feels and, and how that feels for the shop. Cause there's also this like new beginning when that happens, when people leave, that can be exciting too. Not that I'm happy anybody leaves, but like there's a new corner to turn, you know? Yeah, Some, I guess. A new outfit to put on, I guess. I don't know. It just made me think of uh, like a tree has its branches and the branches spread out and they, they you know, have their leaves yeah. and the leaves fall and they go into the ground and they decompose and become something new, so. Yeah. Yeah, and like when, when people, like a lot of people leave the shop for the most part, the majority of people come back and, and guest spot and work. And, you know, like we've met up with you on lots of our travels. And uh, so it is that it is like this big extension, you know, we're still family. You do these uh, annual trips, really amazing places. Uh, where did the idea for the shop trips come from? And what are some of the places that you guys have gone? The shop trip idea came from um, the get what you get. So a lot of stuff has come from those events. Because every year we would do like a party here for our anniversary. And then 
one year I was thinking, couldn't we just like go somewhere sick? Couldn't we just like spend the whole year pooling our, like the money we make from the get what you get. And then. Can you describe a get what you get for people that don't know? Yeah, it's uh, uh, the idea was created by Justin Shaw from Faith in Santa Rosa. Um, I had, so Jerry who used to work there was our shop guy and I had just gotten a gumball machine from one of my clients, just kind of traded it to finish a tattoo. And uh, we were about to have an art walk in the lower hate. And um, Jerry was like, you should do this thing that uh, Justin does, but use your gumball machine for it, you know, and you put designs in and then whatever comes out, that's what the person gets tattooed. Um, so, you know, like we did those for a long time and, uh, they were super fun, but then it was like, I just felt like it was getting harder for us and like uh, less people were excited about it. And I thought maybe if we give them the choice of what they want and do like different um, sizes and price ranges, it might change the dynamic of the whole day. And it did. Um, and it was, it was like, we would put a lot of really fun tattoos in there. People were worried that they're gonna get some like crazy joke tattoo, but we just wanted to do fun tattoos and cool tattoos, you know? So those are just a success and people would just like line up pretty early in the morning. And uh, it was fun. It was like, it really changed the way I tattoo, to be honest. Like I, th all the guys were doing traditional tattoos and I didn't do traditional tattoos when we first started doing these. And I'd be in the back, like coloring in the outlines and like Chris was, Chris Clean was like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know how to, how to do this tattoo. I need to like shade it in on paper before I actually tattoo. He's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> um, but that's how I learned how to do traditional tattoos. It's from the get what you get. Wild. Um, but yeah, so everybody was down to floor money and it's like a really cool kind of experiment on like community too, like uh, our community as a shop, like everybody working towards this, this goal. And we just pick some place to go and get a crazy huge house with a pool on the water. That's kind of what everybody's criteria was. We got to be on the water somewhere, you know. We went to Thailand. Uh, we we went to Hawaii. Costa Rica. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the best one. We went to Costa Rica. And that was my favorite. That, that was the only that was one I've gotten one. to go to, but fuck, it was amazing. That was awesome. That trip was insane i um i fucked up my hand pretty bad on those four wheelers uh the the gas <laughs> really <laughs> yeah like my i don't know what it was my thumb my tendon just from like the gas was like really really messed up for like a couple of months eight out of ten people leave costa rica injured it's just normal. yeah yeah <laughs> i'm i'm uh i'm happy i survived it god man I, that will be one of my favorite <laughs> memories for the rest of my life yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was so much fun. We had uh, so you guys came down with like thirteen people, yeah. and then we had Good Life Tattoo there and our crew, and then I invited all the coast, the tattooers from Costa Rica yes. down, and we had this huge just tattoo gathering, and yeah. then we had a friend fly in on a helicopter with a bag full of drugs, <laughs> and we lit off like fucking. I don't know, a couple thousand dollars worth of fireworks on the beach. It was, I was so sad after you guys left. I, I really like, I was depressed for a week. Yeah. I don't know if it was a come down from the drugs and the friendship, <laughs> like missing everybody. The <laughs> combination yeah. of the two. Yeah. We were all wrecked when we got back, just exhausted. That was hard work. Great. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask, so back in the day you had done, uh, all sorts of tattoos, maybe not so illustrative, but more colorful and kind of artistic. Yeah. And then you had that transition uh, to more of a, a focus on traditional tattooing and portraits. So I was gonna ask where that came from and I guess that was from doing the Get What You Get. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there was one Get What You Get, Mark Cross was working with us and sitting in this, the spot next to me. And every time I, I walk by to see what he's doing, I was like, damn, I like that big black solid field of, you know, ink you've got going and that big empty space next to it. And I like literally was saying that every time I walked past, I'm like, oh, I love that like solid black there. And then I was like, 
if I love that, why don't I do stuff, you know, not like tattoos like him, but why don't I do this in my tattoos, you know, and if I think that's like what looks good as a tattoo, like, like all that stuff, the um, get what you get as traditional tattooing just helped me like get to this point where I could accept the media that I was working in. I think I was fighting that before, you know, like th these are tattoos, this is ink on skin, you know, and there's like, I'm not a camera, you know, like with my portraits, I'm not taking a photo. So why am I trying to make it look like one? You know, some people can do that, but for me, it just wasn't like um, working or sit, like sitting right, I guess, you know? So the two just kind of work together like that meshing of the portraits and the line work of traditional tattooing. It, mm. Like my portraits got better when I started to understand traditional tattoos. Right. That's cool. And then how did you make that transition? Was it hard because you had a clientele based on doing the more artistic, I guess, kind of tattooing? Uh, and then when you wanted to make the transition, was it an easy sell? Or did you? how did you go about letting those old ideas go and taking on the It was ones? kind of slow, I guess. And I it, there was something I always understood about my portfolio that was sitting on the front counter um, was that like I could manipulate the kind of tattoos people would ask me for by changing the portfolio you know so like taking certain things out that I didn't really want to do anymore putting like, focusing more on stuff I wanted to do like I wanted to do more lettering at one point so I would just have like a lot of lettering tattoos in there and get, you know I recently did that with my Instagram like last year I wanted to do get more portraits so I was just like posting a lot more portraits you know and now like I'm getting to do more of those so it's just it's like patience like that transition that you're asking about did take a long time I feel like a couple of years I've, I've worked around some people where I've noticed that there uh, is a level of competition that's that really helps them excel do you have any of that um totally one thing I noticed uh when people leave the shop I get like show you how good I am. <laughs> I get like that feeling of like, okay, I gotta get, um, I gotta be really good um, at what I do. There, also not just, not just um, for that reason, but like also because I get worried that it's like the end of era of the shop, you know, like when, when people leave, cause that happens with shops. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I gotta get back on my game or whatever. I don't know. I feel like that's a competitive thing you know like I want to stay relevant do I feel competitive with people in the shop I feel like I want their approval in my tattoos I want them to think I do cool tattoos <laughs> and I don't know if that's competition or just actually I just heard something recently about how uh, you could have like friendly rivalry where, you know, somebody has something that you, somebody has something that you want in your work or in your approach, and you can look at them and take that as inspiration and incorporate it. And, but there's no hatred or animosity of their success or their achievements or the things that they have that you don't have access to. But instead of instead an inspiration to to learn how to do those things that you see in the other person, which I think is part of what this podcast is about for me. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Getting just, inspiration, or yeah, looking at the way other people live and comparing it to the way that I live, and finding out how other people have gotten where they where they are. You know, yeah, it's interesting to me. What did you want to do when you were a kid? Uh, I wanted to be, I had this like picture of myself being this like corporate boss bitch, like wearing, I had like a. Okay. So when you were a kid, you wanted to be a badass bitch. Wanted, is that what you're saying? Yeah. I just want to be like a, a business person. I didn't really know. I mean, I had like a lot of different things. I wanted to be an architect at one point, be like a, like pencil skirt, high heel wearing <laughs> business person, <laughs> um, whatever that means. I don't know. 
I think I kind of like got all of those things meshed together. Yeah, you're doing it. <laughs> Maybe not the pencil skirt, but the rest of it. I've, I've worn a couple. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so that could kind of lead into uh, you have become, you're, you've been really smart with money and investing. And I feel like that is something that I just, opened myself up to, I had a lot of resentment towards money or misunderstanding of it. And I think for certain areas of the tattoo community, it's kind of inherent that we're pirates and we're just supposed to, I don't know, not, not really think about it too much, or this is definitely not everybody, but, and that we're supposed to, you know, keep stuff hidden away and just, uh, I don't know, live, live, off of the grid without those ideas of success or being financially stable. Um, you kind of have to make a decision if you want to be the pirate or if you want to play the game that we're set up to have to play in order to get certain things and having credit cards, you know, taking out loans, stuff like that. And then thinking about retirement, like it all kind of goes together. So you can do either one, but I chose to like join the game <laughs> I need to make sure I can take care of myself if I'm sick I can't really depend on anybody else to do any of that for me that's just kind of the way I set my life up which kind of also makes things harder if you don't accept help from people but that's another story um so uh you know just seeking out information like when I was in school I heard the story about like this kid who took his student loan money and invested it in the stock market and made like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was like, well, I can do that too. <laughs> so I just like, I love research. I just did a lot of research, just read about the stock market and everything that I learned when I was younger was like, just do, sh do shit that like you love, you know, like if you're going to invest in the stock market, invest in businesses that you like, that you would like spend your money on in your day-to-day -day life. What, uh, what was the thing that you were, so do you think being financially stable or independent makes it harder to ask for help from other people? Is it Like having that, that drive to be like independent and financially stable and just like, not even just financially, but just like everything. Like I can do, I can do all this myself makes it hard to ask or accept help. And it's also kind of like not true that you can just do everything yourself. Right. Or is it the, to the best, like the best way you can do it by yourself, you know, yeah. like help is, I don't know. It's good to have people in your life and to accept, accept them or like acknowledge that you don't know everything. You know, I had a really hard time, especially even just tattooing. Like I, because I didn't have the apprenticeship, I just didn't want people to know. I didn't know what I was doing, which was like a detriment to my career. I think it made, things take a lot longer for me than they would have if I would have let people know I didn't know. So if somebody was starting off, like say you got a young tattooer out there that's really talented or an old tattooer that is in debt and, you know, is trying to get on their feet and somebody that's thinking about the future or even just an artist or somebody that's making their living on their own, what advice would you give? Yeah, just like, I think, the thing I've learned is debt is, is like really bad, you know, having a lot of high like credit card bills, the interest rate on credit card bills is crazy, you know? Um, and like saving money. I, I never even knew how to save money. And a couple of years ago, I read the richest man in Babylon. Have you heard of that? I read that. Mm -hmm. There's this rich guy and they go and they just talk to him and they soak up his information. And he talks about how we, have to use your money when when you make a dollar you can take 10 cents or 20 cents or 30 cents of that dollar and, and put it aside um either save some so that you get some kind of net under you if things go bad or and then take 10 percent and put it into something that could make some money yeah yeah i just felt like i didn't really get any of this information when i was <laughs> yeah. I don't know. there's we're bombarded with like the whole keeping up with the Joneses kind of idea. You know, a lot of people live like outside of their means because we're shown like this fantasy life on TV and magazines and Instagram, you know, like all these 
lies about how great other people's lives are and a lot of people try to keep up with that and spend money on shit that they don't need that's not going to actually make them happy Mm -hmm. um i think that makes it hard to get out of that kind of rut what's your favorite curse word probably fuck (laughs) right who gives a fuck it's so you know you can use it in so many fucking ways Um, how do you, how do you handle the phone and social media and try to stay present and be less consumed by it? Well, I got, I've gotten pretty consumed by it. It's a problem. I feel like it's really like ruined my, you know, consciously aware of it ruining my attention span and, um, wasting so much of my time just especially in the past year but um over time it's crazy to think about like there was a time I didn't have a smartphone and didn't need it and didn't you know I still don't but I do I don't you know like what if I get somewhere and I need help (laughs) (laughs) or I see something cool I want to take a picture of it (laughs) I feel like um, the main thing is work, right? Like we, we're pretty tied to it because so much of work is involved with using it for Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I'm always like, oh well if I wasn't a tattoo, I probably wouldn't have Instagram. I don't really know if that's true. Um would I just have a personal account? I don't know. I don't really share a lot of personal stuff on my Instagram account. My seven Instagram accounts. <laughs> Do you have seven? No, I think I have like four or five, maybe. Wow. I can't imagine. I don't even want to set up an Instagram for this fucking podcast. (laughs) Use my own. It is a job. It's a job. Um, Um, Yeah. I'm trying to wean myself off of it. And like now that, uh, like when the shop is not allowed to run the past year, definitely. my usage goes up and then now that we're open the doors open you know i spend less time on it that's good what was the last thing you got really excited about maybe last thing you bought or last thing you read or saw or listened to it's dumb like i got a a wax seal stamp for the shop like i found a place you can make you can make your own and now i'm just gonna like kind of go crazy with wax seals perfect (laughs) cool it's pretty lame um yeah all right and uh how would you define success Hmm. i think like being able to do something that makes you truly happy in life whether like if it's a career or if you decide not to have a career and find a way to live where you're just happy existing that success bingo that's the bingo <laughs> that's the more <laughs> having love love's good love's good friendship's good being like able to help people i've been thinking so much about the greater good trying to contribute some way to the the good out there the positive energy instead of the negative i think like as artists we get we're we're lucky because we have an outlet for that even if you're not like helping somebody i I don't know like maybe you don't realize how how much you do contribute to the greater good by being an artist and sharing the stuff you make with people because it enriches people's lives in some way or just yeah hopefully yeah well holly ellis or as i like to say holly smellis <laughs> <laughs> can't see my armpits or- <laughs> <laughs> right now. for a while we got convinced that you could stop uh you could use lemons as deodorant that didn't work <laughs> didn't work well thank you for sharing some time with us my friend thanks for everything you do an awesome person and this i'm excited about your podcast i'm excited to hear the interviews with the other people you've interviewed already and, 
Um, just thanks for enriching my life. The theme song is by my friend Dave Perry down in Costa Rica. You can find his music on Bandcamp. Pilgrim and I'm here to sing my song